This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W Debate. Welcome to the W Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn out here. Hold on, Alex. The bull strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algerian Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's off the Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And it's got his field on the catch. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Mace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone with a five-star rating. That means it's time for the Debbie debate. That's Matt Bruning. That's Kyle Francis of Debbie Watch Austin Naces on sabbatical. And I'm Felix Sharp on an absolutely glorious version of tonight's show. What are the spring practice storylines to watch? Are we too low on South Carolina running back Kelvin Harris? And Mr. Francis answers the timeless question of Zach Wilson versus Justin Fields. But we start with Les Miles agreeing to a Mutual parting of ways against uh, with the Kansas football program after several sexual harassment charges against him individually have orig- arisen uh, regarding his time at LSU and Kansas also letting go of their athletic director today. Kyle, Devin Neal is a hot name in Debbie circles. He's the multi- multifaceted running back headed to Kansas. Should C2C and Debbie League players be scared of Neal given the situation around Kansas? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I would say not necessarily. Um, you know, when he chose to go to Kansas, he was the type of player that he was going to fall into adverse game scripts to begin with, you know, no matter who the offensive coordinator or the head coach is. You know, if you're a wide receiver playing at a, a program that's going to have some challenges, uh, that's a great spot to be in because you're going to be throwing the ball more. So regardless of whoever their coach was, you know, I, I think that there were going to be just some, you know, cha- challenges in terms of the surrounding talent that he had. Um, you know, one good positive that I, I did see from this is um, before Les Miles was uh, fired, they hired Mike DeBoard. And uh, Mike DeBoard was actually the offensive coordinator at Indiana. Um, and if you remember the 2018 season by Stevie Scott, when he was a true freshman, they just fed him over and over. So as a true freshman, Scott actually finished with 228 carries, 1,137 yards, 10 touchdowns and 16 catches. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to keep DeBoard um, with with Miles going, but I think an argument can certainly be made that Neil is 
already their most talented skill player before he even takes a single snap on the field. So it would be logical to presume that they're going to want to build an offense around him. But I would say there is an element of risk if you choose to draft him, um, you know, prior to knowing ho- who the new staff is. Uh, I-, I would say both of my campus to Canton leagues and my Debbie leagues, they all take place really starting in May and after that. So I think by then we'll, we'll have a lot better idea. Um, but I, I definitely think it's worth reassessing whoever they choose to hire from there. Um, you know, I think the really the main thing that could hurt him, particularly from an NFL prospect standpoint, is there's there's a there's a very uh, small minority, but very vocal on Twitter that have been pining for Kansas uh, or Vanderbilt or really any other program like that to to get someone who's going to run the triple option. So if they decide to run the triple option, then I think yeah, that that hurts his value. But at the same time. If they chose to run the, the triple option, I think we can be pretty confident saying he's he's on his way out of Kansas, uh, even though he stayed home as a hometown guy. I was absolutely just going to say that he's going to probably transfer from there if they start running the triple option. You know, there wasn't there was no chaos going on at Georgia Tech last season. But to me, it's kind of similar to Jameer Gibbs joining that Georgia Tech program that's kind of rebuilding from the triple option. And there's not a lot of talent around there. Um uh, Devin Neal is just as versatile a player who can be used on kickoff return and in the passing game. So I wouldn't be scared uh, off of him e- either. As you said, Kyle, I mean, that offense might be built around him because there's not a lot of talent there. So um, I agree with you, but I am interested to see who they hire. Can't I don't remember the last time Kansas was good. I mean, in the early 2000s, I believe they they were they had a, a good season. Um but that that's a program that probably needs a a program builder for who who whoever's going to go there and i'm just not sure who that's going to be burning anything that you want to add before we move on no not at all i i I think he he nailed it all right all right we are on this on the precipice of spring practices starting a lot of spring practices have already um got uh, started getting going and uh, there are a lot of storylines that we are following. I'm going to start with this one, the Notre Dame quarterback situation. And Kyle, we'll throw it to you first. Notre Dame, you've got Jack Cohn coming in from uh, Wisconsin. He's the, the tested veteran who lost his job to Graham Mertz. And you've got Tyler Buchner. I mean, I think that Tyler Buchner is a potential Lamar Jackson level uh, athlete coming out of uh, La Jolla, California. Um, we had Alan True on last week, and Alan essentially said for those quarterback prospects that didn't play last season, they weren't able to earn a fifth star and improve their 24-7 um, recruiting ranking. And so I, when I look at that and say, man, I look at I look at Tyler Buchner, and it's hard for me not to have him as the number one quarterback. That doesn't mean that he's going to get snaps. Um, this season at Notre Dame. Kyle, how do you see that situation playing out? Is it going to be Cone with a mix-in of Buchner? Do you see Cone just holding the job all year? How do you see the Notre Dame quarterback situation playing out? I, I think a lot of it's really going to depend on what we see in spring ball. I, I'm assuming he enrolled early. I mean, it definitely would have been beneficial for him to do so. So I, I'm under the assumption, but I haven't verified that, that he did enroll early. In terms of percentage chance, you know, I, I think that he wins the job. I'd say I'm at 60% that he could, from the the first snap of the season, uh, get the job. I, I think if he gets it, 
from the first snap. I really, I really can't see them giving the ball back over to Cone. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, at that point, you're just saying, hey, this is the future of our program. We're going to build around him. Um, I don't think Cone is is terrible. Like I think he's serviceable. If if they just want to turn around and, and hand the ball to Kyron Williams twenty five times a game, he's plenty of experience doing that at, at Wisconsin. So he can he can handle that. But yeah, I, I tend to think I, if if he played this past year and he had that extra year of experience because he also came off an injury prior to that in twenty eighteen where he tore his ACL. Right. He just is so inexperienced, but I would say he probably has the best likelihood of any true freshman to take that job. So I would lean that way, but uh, we'll know more after spring, I think. Confirming that uh, Tyler Buchner is an early enrollee, so he's going to be going through um, spring practice. Is there a dark horse there? I mean, I feel like there's, you know, is there anybody that, that we should be watching for that can come out of the woodwork there at Notre Dame? I don't think so. I think I think they got like, Drew Pine or some guy like that last year, and I mean, you know, he got into Notre Dame, so he's a capable quarterback. But I, I don't. I think it's I think it's his program moving forward. It's just a matter of time before they decide to give it to them. Um, I imagine with some of what Notre Dame lost this past year, they're probably not thinking, "Hey, we're set up for another title run." So <clears throat> again, I think it would be logical to just go ahead and give him the keys and and, and let him get it sorted out. Uh, burning all of the campus to Canton guys are relatively high on Tyler Buchner for, for anyone who hasn't watched him. Uh, it's been a while since he's played football, actually. What's your, just your take on the type of prospect that, uh, that, that Tyler Buchner is. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I don't remember where I have him, And of course you have to throw that to me without me knowing that. So I can't pull up my rankings and <laughs> my, see, see where I have bad. him. I'm pretty sure here. I have him at 11. I think I have him just outside the top 10 at 11. He's my highest ranked uh, freshman quarterback. Um, after that, I have Brock Vandergriff in third, um, uh, the Washington quarterback, uh, Sam Heward. So, but just as a group, the, the campus to Canton guys are very high on Tyler Buchner because of his rushing ability. He ran for 1,600 yards uh, as a junior. 1,600 yards. I don't care what level of competition uh, you're playing at. Um, uh, it's just a very impressive figure for for a quarterback. Yeah. I Let's mean, go well, to oh. – go ahead. I, was like, I, I mean, I, I like him. The The biggest thing is, and we talked about this a little bit in our, our QB ranking summit, it, it's hard to rank some of these guys. The the freshmen, I don't know how uh, Kyle feels about this. And just watching, like, the huddle uh, videos, like I was talking about when I was watching some of the Kyle McCord stuff, and you're watching stuff that's, like, shot on someone's cell phone. Like, it's hard to tell how good some of this stuff really is. Um, I do think he needs to improve some on his passing. My biggest fear with that, and what I hope that they do what Kyle was saying, but and I feel like Austin – and and he's going to join us for the after show. We we've talked about this a little bit. We just think that that Kelly seems to lean more into those veterans, and we're worried that he's just going to give Cohen the job, even if Buchner looks better in spring practices. Which I agree with you. I think it should just be him from the start. But that's what worries me is they bring Cohen in, and it's like, well, you know what? We trust you. You're a veteran because I don't know. Why I agree with you. I don't think they have a shot to really run for a title this year. I don't know if Kelly maybe thinks that he maybe I think thinks bringing in uh, Cohen he get he still has a shot to go for a title. So that that'd be my biggest fear in in having Buchner. Let's go to the SEC in another position. Uh, that's running back. The South Carolina running back situation. You've got Kelvin Harris, who kind of came out of nowhere last year. Everyone was very high on Marshawn Lloyd. Um, and going through the Debbie Watch for 2021, the Debbie Watch team is really high on Calvin Harris. Kyle, I mean, you guys have him in your second tier just below some of the elite guys, but isn't he a two-down plotter? 
I don't think so. And, and, and here's why, here's why I don't see it that way. Um, you know, he's the leading returning rusher in the sec, which I think should just mean something in and of itself. And he caught 20 balls last season. So I think he showed he can be, uh, at least a serviceable pass catcher at a minimum. And in terms of him being a plotter, he may seem it because of his build, but when he was a teenager, he ran a verified four, five, five, 40, 4.26 short shuttle, and he jumped 35 inches in the vert as a 225-pound high schooler. So those are pretty impressive numbers for a high school player. I mean, I'd go as far as to say extremely impressive. And just for perspective, again, I'm going to say his numbers again, 455, 426, 35 inches in the vertical at 225 pounds. Bijan Robinson, as a high school player, at 200 pounds, ran a 477, 456 short shuttle and jumped 37 inches and he weighed 25 pounds less than Harris. So I think in terms of athleticism, if we can assume that that Harris is going to at least maintain or potentially even build on it in a strength program, um, you know, I just don't see him in that way. I think sometimes he he's a bit deceiving in terms of how he looks. Um, but, you know, the reality is Nick Chubb, who we all know was just an elite athlete entering um, college, his athletic profile is actually closer to Nick Chubb's than it was Bijan Robinson's. Um, and so again, a lot can fluctuate from there. So it's not always an apples to apples thing, but, uh, some other things to kind of back up Harris, he ranked seventh nationally this past season in 20 and 20 plus yard runs. Each guy ranked ahead of him had at least one more game than him. He had 11, 20 plus yard runs. So for perspective, for the big three this year, Javante Williams had 14, Najee Harris had eight, Travis Etienne had seven. So he had more 20-yard runs than both Harris and Etienne this season. He was third nationally in 30-yard runs. He was second nationally in 40-yard runs, and he was one of only 16 running backs across the nation that had an 80-plus-yard run. So I just wouldn't necessarily agree that that that's all he is. you know, and the other thing is, uh, and it's a fair thing to ask, it's a fair question, but a lot of those same things were said about A.J. Dillon as well. Uh, and, and we kind of all know now as we're recording this, A.J. Dillon's now the hottest name in Dynasty because he could step into that big role. So, you know, he may not be the the pass catcher of a DeAndre Swift, but he's got he's got 20 catches on his resume. And so for me, um, I guess just to, to speak about something philosophically before we move on, I'm more of a film guy than I am analytics, but one thing I've done, I've done a little bit of modeling and just started playing around with things. And so if I'm just looking at a high level of what am I looking for in a running back, I'm seeing if they check these boxes. Do they weigh at least 205 pounds? Yes, he does. Does he play at a power five school? Yes, he does. Does he have a 20 catch season? Yes, he does. Does he have a 1,000-yard rushing season? Yes, he does. And so he achieved all those as an underclassman. So, again, that's a very oversimplified way to evaluate a running back. I know that it's not that simple, but, you know, from some of those, I guess you would call that an analytical perspective, you know, he profiles really closely to the guys that we've seen in the past two years in the NFL put up RB1 or RB2 numbers. So I, I think those are some of the reasons why we really liked him. You got uh, a Marion Brown going there to potentially stretch the defense. Um, you know, if Luke Doty can develop, and then 
Bruning, you've got Marshawn Lloyd coming back to share touches with, with Kevin Harris. Talk to me a little bit about Marshawn Lloyd and what we can expect from him after he tore his ACL last year and is coming back hopefully health, healthy this season. Yeah, I mean, obviously he looked good last year before the ACL tear, and I just don't know how they give him the job back, though, after what Harris did. I I could see it being some kind of time split or or them splitting carries and Harris getting the majority of them. I think the one thing that works for Lloyd is with Harris being a junior, he can still come back next year and, and be the lead running back for the Gamecocks. I don't. What's going to be interesting is is obviously with the transfer portal rules, does he just decide to transfer? But I don't – I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of schools that could use a running back like him. But coming off the injury, I just think it would be smarter for him to stay there with the Gamecocks, maybe get worked in a little bit those first couple games, let Harris be the lead back, and then start working into that time split, and then just take over the backfield next year and dominate the way he did in those first couple games before he got hurt. Uh, Kyle, a lot of folks in Debbie circles are high on Marshawn Lloyd. How do you see um, – his role pl- playing out there at South Carolina. Um, do you see him? Are they just, is it just going to be a dynamic backfield there? Hmm. I would think so. It's a little bit hard to forecast them because a big component of what I do from a college fantasy standpoint is I go through and look at whenever there's been a coaching change, which we just had a coaching change at South Carolina. And so Marcus Satterfield is the new offensive coordinator. And when I read that name, I'm like, is he related to the Satterfield up at uh, Louisville? And it doesn't look like he is. But I go back through and I look at the previous seasons of these offensive coordinators, what did their offenses look like? What was the, what was the distribution? Did they want a bell cow? Did they, did they divvy things up? And unfortunately the majority of his experience comes over a decade ago as an offensive coordinator and majority at an FCS level, which I've found doesn't always translate to the FBS. So I don't know that we have enough data to say definitively how he's going to split things up. But I think from a talent standpoint, I mean, you've got two of the most talented backs in in the conference. So I don't think that Harris will probably match the numbers he did this year just because they have another reliable option in Lloyd. And I think Lloyd's just an incredible talent um, as well. I, I was super high on him last year. And a lot of that had to do with I thought he was stepping into this role and it probably would have been his. And so that's the other thing. The challenge with a guy like Kevin Harris is. He 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 may be be this guy that that I believe or others believe is this talented, but it took a little bit of luck or, or bad luck if you're Marshawn Lloyd for us really to know. So I'm a little bit wait and see there, but I think both of them could see uh, an increase in their stock, and I think Harris will probably cash in. He should cash in after this year, kind of no matter what he does, and go to the league in a weak class. Now, one of my favorite uh, training camps storylines to track is the Alabama receiver position uh, this spring. It just so happens that my favorite uh, freshman player is not there uh, in training camp. Obviously, we're talking about Ja'Cory Brooks, a guy Hall, Christian Leary, and JoJo Earl. JoJo Earl, because he played in a championship game um, late this year, was not eligible to enroll early. So we're going to have to wait for the summer, at least for uh, for him to go down to Alabama. Kyle, you tweeted earlier uh, last week, earlier last week or this week, um, just how the true freshman wide receivers have have fared at Alabama recently. Um, We had uh, uh, Jalen Waddle's season of 45 catches, 848 yards. His true freshman season after that, after that, you're talking about Jerry Judy with 14 for 264 and two. 
Should we pour cold water on our expectations for these Alabama receivers? These freshman receivers. I I would say just again, philosophically, I almost always pour water on any incoming freshman receiver. It's, it's a harder position to translate right away. I think Um, you just can't rely on, you know, running go routes and, and catching some screens and just being the most athletic guy on the field. Like a lot of these premier guys are uh, at, at wide receiver. It's another thing that makes them tough to evaluate out of high school. I mean, very few of them are running full route trees and they're just already the bigger, more dominant, faster receiver. And so they're just running away from guys with ease. So I would say both. Yes, specifically, uh, I don't have high expectations for Alabama's um, talented, uh, quartet that they brought on um and and especially in this setting even though Alabama's room isn't as impressive as it's been in a lot of those other years where we had the depressed um production I I just don't think that we're going to see a breakout season for for any of these guys so um maybe they would have been smart to take the Rondale Moore uh career path and 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 go to a smaller school where they could step on the field day one or maybe they feel like hey we're willing to wait our turn because the NFL has shown they don't care about breakout age at Alabama as much as maybe some of the more analytically minded fantasy owners are so yeah i would say we need to pour some pour some cold water on them for now well well, Bruning, I want to push back on on Kyle here because we've got, you know, I see Slade Bolden, I see Javon Baker who didn't play last year, and uh, I see John Mechie, and, and then uh, Billingsley. I don't see a lot in that wide receiver room after that. Who do you think is going to lead Alabama in receptions this year, and what's just your feel on um, the on the freshman wide receivers? I mean, I still think it's probably going to be Mechie who leads them. And, and I'm going to give a little bit of credit here to our other co-host who wasn't able to make it here today uh, in Austin, because I heard him and Colin talking about it on their podcast, Campus 2 Canton, uh, that they think it's going to be one of either Ja'Cory Brooks or and, – and Kyle, how do you – I'm horrible with pronouncing names. Is it a, a, a Guy Hall? I don't know how to say his, his – I, I just name. call him Hall. I just okay. – I don't even try. I We're even just going to roll with Hall because yeah. I, I don't uh, – I'm horrible with names. Uh, not quite as bad as uh, – as our good friend Alfred, but I, I'm not very good at pronouncing names either. So I, I agree with them that I think one of those guys is probably going to step up. They both, I think, are going to play the same role. That's right, Austin. You, uh, you guys, uh, they talked about. It. I think both of them play or likely will play the same role for Alabama. So I think one of them steps up. Now, will they have that breakout year? I don't think so, but I think one of those guys is going to get on the field, and I think it's going to come down to Brooks or Hall. I am a little bit higher on Brooks, and I think some people are. Um, I know a lot of people like Hall, and I think Leary is kind of the two guys and Earl. I know you're, you're big on Earl Felix. Those seem to be the three. Maybe most have them above Brooks, but I really like Brooks. So I would like to see him take that step, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Hall. Well, well Hall is extremely physical. You have to love that. Um, I, I wish Jojo Earl was there. He's not, but I think that he is the easiest player to scheme fair for. You can use him on jet sweeps. You could just put him in the backfield and give him the damn ball and let him and let him run it. You can just tell him run goes. You can have him return punts and kicks. Um, you know, I still have Alabama being an elite offense under Bryce Young, and when I look at the players there who could kind of pop, that I mean. There could be more than one. It's not. I don't think it's going to be Slade Bolton. I think it could be Billingsley, their tight end slash wide receiver, Mechie. But then I have to add a third there. So if if it if Earl was there, I would say that would be the easiest um, 
uh, candidate for me because you can line him up in the slot and he's just an easy player to, again, to get the ball to, bubble screens, whatever, get the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. But then you have these two kind of taller, physical, physical X-style wide receivers in Brooks and Hall. I think they're going to score a lot of touchdowns. But I see kind of the yards going to JoJo Earl. Any objection, Kyle, to, to thinking that, you know, JoJo Earl could come in even in the, in the summer without a spring? And, you know, having a 500-yard season, any, any objection to that? Yeah, I, w- I, would still, I would still object to that. And, and part of that is because, and, and I mentioned kind of philosophically how I project uh, a, a lot of these players, is um, with Bill O'Brien now being the new offensive coordinator, um, you know, most recently was the head coach with the Texans. So I went back to Penn State, which is the job that got him uh, the job with the Texans. And I kind of looked at, okay, how did he use guys? And so uh, what I uncovered was uh, he had Allen Robinson for both of those years. So let's let's take that into account. Uh, Allen Robinson was an extremely gifted college wide receiver. So Allen Robinson in his first season with O'Brien had 77 catches, 1,018 yards, 11 touchdowns. Then the next season he had 97 catches, 1,432 yards, and six touchdowns. So he was the guy that had the the, the dominant market share for them. But then when you looked at how O'Brien deployed the rest of his talent, he had tight ends combined for 78 catches in 2012 and 58 catches in 2013. His wide receiver two actually never exceeded 31 catches in a single season. Now, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be apples to apples because I do think Saban hired him to run the version of the Alabama offense that has been so dominant in this recent run that kind of Lane Kiffin sparked and now we've seen have its own iterations from here. But I I just don't think it's going to be a freshman. Um, I I actually really like Slade Bolden as well. I don't think any of those guys are going to take snaps away from Slade Bolden. And I know that that's probably sounds pretty controversial. I'm not saying that all of those guys may not have a brighter NFL future, but I actually believe Slade Bolden's going to play in the NFL. I think he's got a skill set that's extremely comparable to JoJo Earls as well, where, you know, he was an all-purpose back and he could play running back uh, at a lot of schools. He actually got on the field as a true freshman running the Wildcat. Um, He's thrown for a touchdown out of the Wildcat. They had him uh, run out of the Wildcat. So he's a guy that can do a lot of things. And and if you hear the way his teammates and Saban speak about him, I'm not, I'm not, willing to see that he's going to give up ground this year so I I think that there's a chance they all could get some snaps but I probably like Bolden more than anybody else I've talked to and as an Alabama fan myself I actually would prefer to see Bolden on the field for the majority of snaps than one of the freshmen but if it's going to be someone I'm with you I want it to be Earl well it's interesting because between I don't think that there is um Bolden and Earl present a unique skill set to play that slot receiver, kind of do this the shifty stuff. And uh, I want to make this comparison. Let's just say for both of them. With the Houston Texans, when Kiki Kuti was finally healthy as a rookie, in his first game he got 15 targets, 11 receptions for 109 yards, and they were scheming for him for this fifth-round draft pick to get the ball into his hands. And I think that that's how we could see either Earl or Bolden, uh, whomever, used at, at Alabama. Slade Bolden is going is like essentially not being drafted in 45-round campus to Canton League. So he's, I mean, you've heard it from Mr. Franchise here. You need to pay attention to to, to Slade Bolden. Kyle, obviously we've got you here because we want to talk about the Debbie Watch. 
Um, and I just want to give you a second to talk about the, the 2021 version. I've got to go through this 350-page publications with rankings, with, with uh, advanced statistics, with written profiles. Um, it's my first time being able to, di- to digest it. My first, I was a first-time p- purchaser this year. Talk to us a little bit about the 2021 version of the Debbie Watch. And, you know, was there a take or a player or a ranking that you felt specifically strong about with this year's version? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think this is our, I think our fifth year putting things together, uh, our second time doing it um, kind of as our own entity with our own site. Um, so I think we got some aesthetic upgrades from that standpoint, which, you know, isn't mandatory. Uh, I, I would rather have high quality content than great looking visuals. You know, at, at the end of the day, you can, pull all the spice out of a soup and you're left with water, but water's what you need to survive. So we want to make sure that there's actually the, 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 the content is there, but I will say I've been really proud of, of, of Brad, both our editor uh, and our graphics guy. I think he's been able to do both. So just kudos to him. Just wanted to shout him out for all of his work that he does and holding us together and, and doing everything he does. But yeah, so we've got a team of six guys. And so, you know, when we, the way that we've structured the Debbie watch is, uh, and I think we've done this for either two or three years running now is we've assigned primary evaluators to uh, certain conferences in college football. Like for example, I'm assigned to the sec West, the mountain West mountain division independence. And I think that's it. But um, it, anyway, so the, the nice thing about us breaking things up and looking at players that way is you get to have eyes on the same player for multiple years. And I think that that's really helpful. You can find, hey, did this, did this player improve? Uh, did they take a step back? Do I still have the same concerns? Did I see something that I thought I was seeing that I actually didn't? And so I think the consistency factor in terms of something that we've done has been really beneficial for us. But yeah, we just go through and we, and we break down pretty much the entirety of college football. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't cover campus to Canton specifically, but we also kind of cater to other folks who play that. And, and that's been something that we did in the guide this year is I, I, I kind of encourage the team. It said, "Hey, let's let's be clear with with uh, within our our words that we're using in these profiles that we're writing. If we think that they're a great, you know, value in campus to Canton, and and I'll just give you an example of a guy like that, uh, a guy like George Halani at Boise State, um, probably not going to be like I can't say emphatically he's going to be a day two pick in the NFL." But we also wouldn't have necessarily known that about Alexander Madison. And he ended up being a day two pick in the NFL. And while he's sitting behind Dalvin Cook, he was a guy that was a massive producer in college. And then he grew into an asset in the NFL. And that's kind of the name of the game in fantasy and dynasty and campus to Canton. I mean, not every player has to grow into being Saquon Barkley. But if they can be the guy where you're going after an elite player and you're saying, hey, I'll throw in Alexander Madison, that may get a deal done. And so players that have the ability to be mega producers on the college side and could surprise you and kind of be the icing on the cake on the on the NFL side of things, we wanted to kind of call out some of those players as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the overview in terms of, of what we did. And, and we try to do cater some of it towards college fantasy, the majority of it towards Debbie, but then also uh, campus to Canton as well. Go ahead and get yourself a copy of the 2021 Debbie Watch. I mean, just just go get it. I've got it. I'm going to continue to get it. Um, 
every year after this. All right, gentlemen, we brought Mr. Franchise here for this. Are, are we ready for the Debbie debates? Absolutely. We're ready to roll. We might not even have disagreement here because Austin's not here. The first question. You're in the, you cover the Mountain West, uh, Kyle, so we'll uh, give this to you, and then I'll throw it to Bruning. True or false, Carson Strong is a first-round pick in 2022. I'm going to I'm gonna say false. Uh, I'm going to say he gets drafted in the Drew Locke, Jalen Hurts range. So a top 60 pick, I'm not quite ready to go first round. I mean, you you know where I sit on this. I'm going to say true. I think if he continues to – I think he's improved every single year. If he improves this year as well, I do think he's obviously going to put up a bunch of stats being there with, uh, with Nevada. I think he could sneak into someone trading up, not a la Lamar Jackson because obviously Lamar Jackson, I think, athletically is a little bit better than him, but maybe a team trades up into the back end of the first round because they want that fifth year uh, option on him and they take him after him having another great year. I'm going to say true also. And uh, in looking at the Debbie watch this year, the Debbie watch guys are very high on Carson strong, higher than uh, higher on strong than Keaton Slovis, higher on strong than Jaden Daniels. Um, uh, Kyle, just talk to me about, I mean, you cover the mountain West. Talk to me what you see in him as a player. Yeah, I, what the one thing I will say, he's he's in the opposite. I forget what the other division uh, of the Mountain West is. So I wasn't the primary on him. I'm on the Boise side of things. He's on the other side of things. But you know, I, I think the things that I like about him is you know he's a he's a, a pure pocket passer. Uh, and I'm not saying I necessarily like that about him because from a fantasy standpoint, I would always prefer a guy that can run. But you know, if you're going to be a pocket passer, he's got the arm to get himself out of trouble. You know, he's got an NFL arm without question. Question. Um, he's uh, gonna be productive again. Uh, that that offense is gonna continue to be one of the highest volume passing offenses. And now they've shown that they want to run it as well. But he's gonna be a really high producer. And so if I'm looking at a player that's either at an FCS school or a Group of Five school, if I'm gonna even remotely consider them to be a potential first round prospect, they have to be among the the most productive. Um, quarterbacks uh, across the country. So I think he's going to have that production on his side. Um, he's not a guy that I've really dove extremely deep into in terms of knowing all of his intricacies. I just think that he's a guy that um, he's got the, the the NFL size that I think uh, a, a lot of franchises are still going to look for. You know, some have shown they're willing to get away from that archetype. But, um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of franchises that like his size. He's got the arm and he's going to be really productive. So I think those are all things that work in his favor. All right, let's move on here. Um, looking, Taking a look at the Debbie watch very high on Jerry and Ely, you know, a, a smaller running back at Ole Miss who has kind of flirted with baseball is actually drafted. Bernie, I'm going to throw this to you first. Should fantasy gamers be concerned with Jerry on Ely's size and his flirtation with baseball? I don't think so. I don't, I think so. I was looking at my rankings just to kind of get an idea of where I had him. So I'm second highest on our group. Alfred is a little about 10 spots or eight spots higher than me. Or no, I'm sorry, Colin. 
Colin is eight spots higher than me. Obviously, his size is a concern, but he's so elusive and explosive. Uh, he's got that receiving part of his game, which I think can translate to the NFL if he goes into the NFL. I believe, and I could be wrong on this, but I thought earlier this offseason, he came out and said he's not focusing on baseball this year. So if he's willing to do that for his junior year, I don't see why that would be. Uh, clearly, if he's focusing on football, I think that means he wants to have a future in the NFL. And I think that there is a place for a, a, a back like him at the NFL level, especially on the receiving side. Do I think he's going to be a workhorse? No, but I think he can produce for you on the, on the college side of things this year and be somewhat productive at the NFL level, just because of his speed elusiveness and his receiving ability. Uh, Kyle, and, and looking at your write-up, I mean, you kind of highlighted these things about his baseball and, um, and his size. I would have suggested, I mean, you guys have him at RB nine uh, in tier two. I would have assumed that, that, based on your write-up, that maybe you would have him lower ranked on uh, based on that risk. I mean, he's kind of an outlier uh, as a player at 208 pounds, 5'8", or something something like that. Um, should, do you think that C2Cers and Debbie Leaguers should be concerned with his size and his flirtation with baseball? I, I do, um, and, and that's part of kind of going back into – the way that my team is set up is we have six guys on the team. And so just because I'm the primary scout on a guy, if there are four, three, four, five other guys that feel I'm wrong and that that's not a concern, then I have the liberty and I would even go as far as to say the responsibility to give uh, an assessment of his risks um, and everything like that. And then, let the reader uh, decide, but I would vehemently disagree with our ranking uh, of him, to be honest with you. And, and let me ask you guys, uh, it, it, this is going to be, if, if either of you guys get this right, I'll Venmo you $20 on the spot. Okay. <laughs> so, so here, here's, here's the question. Who was the last sub 200 pound back to be drafted on day one or day two of the NFL draft? Day one or day two. I got to, is it, is it LaShawn McCoy? Nope. Yeah, I've got no idea. It's Dry Archer in 2014. Dry Archer. Wow. Dry. Okay. So think think about that. Ely's right now listed. He came into school listed at 5'9", 180. Then he was 5'9", 180 as a sophomore. And now he's 5'8", so he lost an inch, 190. So his third year in the program, he's at 190. So three years, he's put on 10 pounds. He still has 10 more to go to be even in a bucket where he could be remotely considered a viable NFL asset. And, and I'll just tell you how I break things down. I really don't even care how good a guy is in the NFL, to be honest with you, when I'm evaluating from a Debbie standpoint. Truly, the only thing I care about is if they're a quarterback, are they going to be drafted in the top 50 of the NFL draft and have an opportunity to be a franchise guy? If they're a wide receiver and a running back, are they going to be drafted in rounds one through three of the NFL draft? Anything else aside from that, in my opinion, is a miss as an evaluator. If I have a guy and and especially I'm asking someone to use a, a premium pick on them in a Debbie league and they're drafted in day four and they go on to be a Hall of Famer, I'm still going to say that's a miss for, from my standpoint because – there, the 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 hit rate in terms of actual production, viable running back one, running back two, fantasy seasons in the NFL falls off a cliff after day three. I mean, it's it's it happens some. You see outliers that happen, but I'm not I'm not willing to bet on an outlier, especially if it's going to cost me a premium pick. Now, if he's if he's the 
the the price of sincere McCormick and you can get him in the eighth, ninth, 10th round, by all means, you know, ha- have a shot at it. But, but for me, I'm just not willing to bet on someone that is going to be a significant historical outlier, almost unprecedented. I was go as far as to saying, um, and, and the last thing I would say about baseball is I've sort of half-heartedly gone back and tried to verify this, but I was watching them live in 2018, and uh, it was kind of a lull in the game, and the commentators uh, were kind of starting to talk about some of their meetings with the Ole Miss staff and the Ole Miss players. And I was not fully engaged, but I was kind of watching, and I heard them say something. And again, I haven't been able to verify this, but I can say it with 90% certainty. This is what I heard. I believe one of the announcers said in their meeting with Jerry and Ely, he actually expressed he doesn't have a desire to play in the NFL, that he wants to play Major League Baseball. So that is just always something that stuck with me. Uh, Unfortunately, it Mm -hmm. happened in the middle of a broadcast where I don't know, and I'm not going to go back and watch, you know, 12 full games at three hours a pop and try to find out where these guys are talking about it. Now, I think that's unlikely, but you add that on top of the size. And for me, I would go as far as to say in the Debbie watches rankings, he would be probably the number one fade for me at at the rankings that, that we had. I want to take a small detour. We're talking about small undersized players who cover the mountain West mountain division. Um, Dante Wright is somebody that we are very high on uh, at Colorado state played with Warren Jackson. Um, that's actually how I kind of, he kind of popped uh, watching Warren Jackson. He kind of popped his freshman year, you know, people on the East coast, they, they don't see these games that start at 10 PM uh, Eastern time. And, you know, Lord knows if they're watching a mountain West game is, is Dante Wright someone who is going to be drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. Are you as high on him as we are at campus to Ken? I think he's great for your, for, for y'all's format in the campus to Canton format. He would fall exactly into that, that scenario that I mentioned with George Holani. If you said, Kyle, you I'll give you even odds right now, hundred dollars on the line. Is he going to be drafted within day two? I would say no, probably not. Does he have an opportunity to? Yes. Um, I think that his production profile is going to be really impressive. So you're going to have a lot of the uh, analytics folks that really like him from a production standpoint. And, and how about these numbers? So in high school, he was he was really small in high school. He was listed at 5'10 and 165 pounds. So keep in mind he's small here, but let me throw out these verified numbers. 44340, 3.91 short shuttle, 3.91. I mean, that's got to be top. If, if he did that in the NFL, he'd be top 5% all time in the short yeah. shuttle. Jumped 37 and a half inches in the vertical. Uh, the, the good news is he's up to 5'9", 180. So he's roughly, I mean, he's not far off from Jalen Waddle size. Um, and, and so I think he's a guy would be a tremendous gamble to take in campus to Canton because you're going to have a lot of folks that are still wanting to draft some of the high-profile freshmen that you're going to have to wait for them to produce for several years. I don't even consider guys like that in campus to Canton. They're not even in my queue. I'm targeting guys like this because I'm more concerned about the college side, especially if there is a reasonable path forward when they can make it to the NFL. So I would say unlikely he gets he gets enough money to – I mean, enough investment to be relevant, but I also wouldn't totally rule him out. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Francis is a professional. We we did not have Dante Wright on the show sheet, and he just pulled those those uh, his verified statistics out, his verified measurables out, um, extremely quickly. All right, Bruning, I want to hear from you because this is one of my favorite storylines: the Texas quarterback situation. I mean, I'm somewhat infatuated with Casey Thompson after the Alamo Bowl and just looking. Um, after that, looking what he was as a high school prospect and what he did at the spring game in 2018 um, going against Sam Ellinger. True or false, Hudson Card will be the 2021 starter for Texas in the first week for the Texas Longhorns. True or false? Well, you already know where I stand with this, and I believe that's true. I just, I, I'm not as big on Casey Thompson as you are. I think Hudson Card's got all of the intangibles to be a really good quarterback. I like his athleticism. I like the, I like his accuracy when he throws the ball. Uh, I think uh, I want to say it was Austin or Colin that mentioned this. Uh, there was an interview given by Steve Sarkeesian when he was talking about wanting to come to Texas, talking up Bijan Robinson. I know, I know, you're going to roll your eyes, but it matters. He said that he wouldn't have chose Texas if they didn't have a quarterback, and I don't believe he was talking about Casey Thompson. I believe he was talking about Hudson Card. So, yes, I think come day one, he's going to be the starter. Uh, you know, I just – I think he's got more upside than Casey Thompson, and, and Sark wants to go in there and win. I don't think he's – with the Texas boosters, they're not looking for him to come in there year one and go nine and three or something like that. They want him to win. They want to beat Oklahoma. They want to be the champion. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Hudson Card. That's a reference to an article in The Athletic where some of the uh, coaches who had been fired went on the on the record but um, were anonymous and said, you know, essentially that Hudson Card was the best thing since sliced slice bread. I like Hudson Card, too. I've called him Bryce Young Light. But, I mean, Kyle, back me up on this. I mean, Casey Thompson's got a shot to, to, to take and keep that job. Am I wrong? Yeah, I can't back you on this one, Felix. My, my apologies. I, I, I think that um, that article was pretty telling. Um, the other part of that that was interesting, and, and you guys are writers, so you understand and you've interviewed people. When you're disseminating an interview, you don't necessarily, and yes, you're saying, unless you're saying this is the exact transcript, you don't always have the full context. I will say, though, in a portion of that article, because I read it as well, when he mentioned quarterback, the only name that Sarkeesian mentioned was Card. Um, so I think based on, on that and the offense that he wants to run, I, I just can't see a way that it's not card. Um, especially because card is a guy that, you know, at, um, at Lake Travis, he was a wide receiver, uh, until yeah. his freshman and sophomore year. So he didn't start playing quarterback full time until he was a junior. And so I think there's definitely some things he needs to get worked out. I mean, both guys are incredible athletes. I mean, I may go as far as to say those are the two, if you're looking in terms of a duo, the most athletic quarterback duo on one team at quarterback in the country. But I just don't think that that Thompson has the the pass cat the excuse me, the the passing ability that Card does and knowing what Sark wants to run and also maybe getting away some of the, you know, quarterback heavy run game that we just saw with Herman and Ellinger that a lot of the boosters soured on. I also think there may be some pressure as Matt alluded to from the boosters of, Hey, let's go with a guy like card. So I'd love to back you here, but I'm, I'm, I'm a card guy as well. He's uh he, he's, a, he's a favorite of mine. Listen, I, I need some help from somebody out there on Casey Thompson Island. Like I'm the only, I am stranded alone by myself on Casey Thompson Island. You've got a few more, a few more. Um, looking at the Debbie watch again, 
Sean Tucker. You guys have him as the 27th. I thought it was like a type. Like, is this a typo? As the 27th ranked running back uh, of the 2023 class, and he has the fourth highest dominator rating. Again, I'm getting all of these statistics from the Debbie watch. What's what's up with his with his rating? Why are why are the Debbie watch guys so low on him? I, I think we probably screwed that one up, to be honest. Um, I, I don't I don't think that I could rate 27 players uh, above him. I will just also say, like, in the spirit of full disclosure, in terms of how we rank things, like, our most serious conversations center around the first six tiers. Now, five tiers comprise our top 100 players, and then essentially you can get through a portion of tier six, and those are the guys that we're essentially recommending. If you're entering a Devi startup and that's typically going to be 10 rounds. If you play with a bunch of degenerates, which I know most of us do, you know, you're going to have 10 rounds to start up. Hey, here are the guys to really consider if you're doing a startup. So while I disagree numerically that there are, you know, 26 or 27 backs in that class better than him, I'm also not quite ready to say, hey, I feel really confident this guy's going to be an NFL running back. Um, he kind of had a weird trajectory. You know, as a recruit, he he weighed in at one of the uh, testing centers. He was 5'10 and 157 pounds as a senior. And so his body wow. went through a, an extremely significant transformation. He's a good looking, you know, he's, he's pretty yoked up. Um, I think yeah. Syracuse only lists him low twos. So that's fine. I mean, that's, that's the requisite weight we need, but he just was the kind of a guy that was nowhere on anyone's radar. Uh, the reality was he was probably running back five or running back six on the depth chart pandemic hits. And then they have some transfers, they have some injuries. And I think it was right after Week four, I want to say, don't quote me on that one exactly, that they started feeding him. So I think he showed some good things. I don't think that they're, I don't think we probably got his ranking right. But at the same time, it's a rather, in my opinion, an insignificant miss or a less significant miss uh, in terms of if you're going to screw things up, have it be down later in the rounds where I couldn't personally look someone in the face and say, hey, take Sean Tucker if you're in a 10 round startup. I'm going to need to see it for an, for another year. Um, but one thing I do think was impressive about him is they had just a terrible offensive line and they were one of the worst passing offenses and he managed to do some good things. So he's one of the few lone bright spots. Him and Taj Harris did some good things at receiver. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I think we messed that up. Um, and also, no, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying he's a bona fide Debbie asset at this point. Bruning, would you rate uh, Sean Tucker? And it, it, it just so happens that Sean Tucker is like one player that I forgot to rank uh, when we were, when we released the site, and um, and I have to see where I would put him amongst the twenty twenty three class. But I have to believe I would have him top ten in that class. Would you? You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. Of course, I pull a Felix and I'm 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 muted as I, I go on there. Uh, you know, I don't know. I was trying to to pull mine up really quick because I imagine I'm probably not very high on him either. Well, to, while you're pulling those up, I mean, Sean Sean Tucker peaked my. I can't remember who they were playing earlier in the season, but I got to see him play. And then at the end of the season, obviously the way he played against uh, Clemson against that Clemson team, and he caught the ball a little bit, so we knew that he was a bowling ball kind of a wrecking machine. But he showed um, a little bit in the passing game, and if we can see that, you know, over the next season, 
I, I, I really like the type of player that Sean Tucker is. So, um, Bruning, would you rank him top 10 in the, in the 2023 class? Hmm. 2023? Um, God, it's so hard to think of who off the top of my head now who I would even put above him. Probably. Uh, oh, my God. Why does my thing keep switching to camps to camp? Did I mute myself again? I, I can't see my screen. No, I'm you're all right. You're all right. You're all right. I'm trying to pull up my prospect thing because it's a whole thing. I mean, I do like his his elusiveness. That was the big thing I have highlighted here for him. Uh, but 2023 running backs, let me see where I have him. I'll, that way I can answer your question correctly. Uh, your answer, the here. answer would, be, would be no. Oh. The answer would be no. He doesn't. He's, I don't even have my top 12, so that that's no. Let me let me let me add one more thing because I think this is an important distinction to make when we're talking about valuing players. All of us are on Twitter. We know that there are two very divisive vitrolic camps when it comes to evaluating prospects. One I'll describe as analytics, one I'll describe as film. It's important no matter which side of the street you're on or if you're in my opinion, a rational, logical person, you're using all of the information. Um, no matter which side of the street you're on, it's important to recognize that those people who you may disagree with, they comprise the market amongst all of us. You know, all of us comprise the market of managers in, in fantasy leagues that are determining a player's value and their worth. And so, if you have someone that maybe you don't love him on film, like let's say an argument can be made for that with Tucker. Okay, you don't love his film. That's okay. Because he did what he did as a freshman, he's going to show up on some spreadsheets. And so let's call it 40 to 50% of your potential league mates are going to have some value on him. So again, going back and taking some ownership from where we had him on the Debbie Watch side of things, we ranked him too low if for no other reason that roughly 40 to 50% of the market is going to value him more than maybe what we perceive from his film. So maybe that's a, a, a philosophical distinction, but I mean, I think that that's important to say as well that, um, you know, I, again, to just, uh, to, to take accountability for that. Yeah. I, I think just for those reasons alone, we probably did a disservice ranking him as low as we did within his own class. You know, Kyle, now I, Austin was saying that we needed to have you on, and I'm I'm so glad we did. I hope that, you know, after our show today that you'll, you will come back on with us because this is uh, really impressive stuff. I want to go through these these next questions here. Um, it can kind of rapid fire, fire style. Uh, Burning, we, we, we let the, the folks, uh, we let Katie and Alan and, uh, and Alfred take over the show last week, so we didn't get to answer these questions ourselves. So, um, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Give me 20 seconds. Pick one. Unmute yourself and pick one. George Pickens, David Bell, Traylon Burks, or Garrett Wilson? You know my answer, and it's a little bit of homerism, but also because I just love Garrett Wilson. I'm, I'm going Garrett Wilson. Er, no, I take that back. My bad. You said David Bell, didn't you? David Bell is my number one ranked wide receiver for that class. I love Bell. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good year this year without Ron Moore there. Wilson would be a very close second, but give me uh, give me a uh, Bell. Kyle, pick one. Give me George Pickens, David Bell, Traylon Burks, or Garrett Wilson. Uh, I'm a Burks guy. That would be Austin's choice as well. Yeah. I am a George Pickens guy. I think I have Traylon Burks ranked uh, fourth out of those three. Burning back to you, pick one out of the the Alabama wide receivers. Uh, A guy, Hall, JoJo Earl, Ja'Cory Brooks, or Christian Lyric? 
Uh, I'm going to stick with Brooks. I said earlier, he's still my highest rated guy. I mean, Hall and Leary are close for me, but I've got Brooks just a little bit ahead of him, so I'm going to stick with Brooks. Kyle, Hall, Earl, Brooks or Leary? I'm going to go with Earl. He just is the type of receiver uh, that I'm looking for. I actually have taken a, a, a full a full pivot and where I used to love the Des Bryant type receivers. I just think that the NFL is moving away from that. And I'll take your, your Jalen Waddles and your Jojo Earls and your Rondale Moores and your Elijah Moores all day. So I'm an Earl guy. I agree with you. Jojo Earl, excuse me. Jojo Earl is my second rated uh, freshman player after Travion Henderson. Rapid fire back to you burning. Does Texas finish the 2021 season with a top 10 ranking? Yes or no? Yes. And I hate saying Kyle? that. <laughs> well, I'm fortunate that I've got a friend named Biff and he showed me a, his almanac right before the show. And, uh, <laughs> and they actually will finish 11th this year. Damn. <laughs> Bruning, Rondell Moore, Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. Kyle. Jamar Chase. Um, Bruning, in 2021, the best quarterback in the Big Ten is... In 2021, Kyle McCord. Not even a question. Kyle, can I say no one? Can I can I say they don't have a good quarterback? You got to pick. You got to pick one. You got to okay. pick one. Okay. H- how about this? Because I've seen the almanac. So Michael Penix at Indiana until he gets hurt middle of the season, and then it's C.J. Stroud <laughs> finishes as the top man. Does Michael Penix have a ceiling where he could be a day one or day two quarterback? I Not- I have been standing on the Michael Penix uh, for a while. Um, strong left-handed, he's tough as nails, but he's just injury prone. Can you see him being maybe not maybe late, late day one, day two prospect? Am I wrong on that? If he didn't get hurt this year, I was, I would, I would have been willing to agree with you, but his injury history is now really extensive. It's literally every season he he has Same a leg too. injury. So unfortunately, I love him too. He's so fun to watch. Um, a great value in a campus to Canton League uh as well. Um, but yes, I, I can't I, I can't I can't buy him just with the injury history. I think it's right ACL, right ACL clavicle injury. So he has not finished a season um yet in his career. Um Bruning. And, and for the record, I think I'm going to take uh, Talia Tagovailoa as the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Burning Tanks Bigsby or Jameer Gibbs? Uh, Bigsby. Um, Kyle. Yeah, I- I'm going to agree, Bigsby. Uh, I think they're both comparable talents. Uh, I think with the new uh, the new hire uh, in Auburn, um, they just feed their backs uh, like we've seen sometimes in the past with Auburn guys that the, the um, the head coach came from Boise, and so they had, like, before the COVID year, I think they had seven or eight consecutive years with a 1,000-yard rusher, and they get Bobo, who likes to pound it. So I think his production profile will slightly put him over Gibbs for me. I'm going to go with Gibbs as the pass catcher. I have um, uh, Bigsby ranked third of my running backs. Bruning, the 2021 national champion is – oh, my God, this is – uh, who's the national champion Bruning? It hurts. Are you going to, I'm not, not going to do you, it. I'm not going to do it. Cause they're going to okay. win it in 2022. Uh, I'm going to go. God, I don't, I really don't know. I want to pick, pick someone off the thing. I'm going to go as much. God, I hate saying this. I'm going to go Clemson. I think DJ is going to get them there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This, this hurts me to say as well. I'm actually going to go Georgia. They finally get over the hump. 
I like it. I think that we've identified. I'm gonna. I think that the both of those teams are going to be in the playoff. But I also think that. Um, I think that Oklahoma could finish the season as the number one ranked team, and I'm gonna take Oklahoma to get a national championship. The question, the question of the hour, and Bruni already know your answer, so we're going to close the show with this, Mr. Franchise, mm-hmm. Justin Fields, or Zach Wilson. It's Justin Fields for me here. Uh, Let's I, go. I, I, I figure figured Matt would like that one, uh, but yeah, I <clears throat> I'm actually pretty partial towards Fields. Uh, I, I'm from the Atlanta area. He's from the Metro Atlanta area, so I've followed his career for a long, long time. Have some um, mutual friends uh, really close to him, so I've been able to kind of learn a little bit more about who he is and everything like that. So I'm 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 a Fields guy, but I'd like to think objectively, I would still say Fields. I'm going to have to reconsider what reconsider what I said earlier. Hey, we really appreciate Kyle. Anything that you want to plug um, before we before we get you out of here? No, I just wanted to say thanks to you guys uh, for having me on. And, and I mentioned to you guys previously, I'm excited that you guys are doing what you're doing at, at Campus to Canton. Uh, if you're listening and you're and you're still on the fence about the format, do it. Um, uh, I, I said once, if a zombie apocalypse comes and I can only take one uh formats bylaws and put them in a time capsule and bury it it would be campus to canton so i think it's the premier uh format i think it's going to continue to grow uh if you're not a big college fan it'll make you interested in college and if you are then it's tailor-made for you so um just wanted to say thanks to you guys for having me on um excited about what you guys have doing and you know happy to support you guys in any way i can and um yeah just uh Thanks for having me on. And if anyone wants to get any more information uh, about the Devi Watch, you can go to deviwatch.com. Uh, it's D E V Y W A T C H.com. And uh, we sell uh, annual subscriptions to our sites where we're constantly hammering out different things and then also have access separately to the, to the guide that um, we'll actually refresh. Uh, we'll do a volume two come probably May where we'll respond to. Um, any actionable information that we get through spring because that's such a critical piece when we're learning more about depth charts, who's emerging, who got hurt. And um, I also do some more if, if you um, are a nerd like me and enjoyed hearing anything about uh, offensive coordinator philosophies. I actually go through every single um, uh, coaching change, whether it was a head coach or an offensive coordinator, and I profile as much of their historical production I have and then give some insight into who are players you could target in a variety of formats. So Thanks again to you guys for for having me and uh, really enjoyed being on. Thank you to Kyle. Follow Kyle at FranchiseKF on Twitter. Go by the Debbie Watch at uh, DebbieWatch.com. That's going to be our show for tonight. You can find our written content. Uh, Mr. Bruning has an article up on Kyle McCord. He's got an article up on Travion Henderson. I have an article up uh, most recently on the on the values at the quarterback position according to our March ADP. So go check that out. Find all of our written content at campuscanton.com. Follow the show at Debbie Debate. Apologies to Kirk Street. We went a riddle a little long with Kyle, so we had to bump him. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning, for Kyle Francis, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42-20.
Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama, and the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain, their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter Renfrow caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! I made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.